Hello and welcome. Um, my name is Steve Pugh and if we don't know each other, I do something called the Growth Strategy Podcast and I try and introduce you to interesting people that can help your business or career, uh, but actually just people that I kind of want to have a nice conversation with and that I think have something worth sharing with you and everyone else. Uh, so my guest today is someone that I'm involved with. We're both, well, I'm a trustee of the charity. I assume he's now the, the chairperson, I guess we'll go into the proper term. Uh, but actually as a kind of a business leader, someone that's gone through their own kind of journey, she's involved with a startup and lots of really cool stuff. Hopefully if you join us for the next kind of 30, 40 minutes, uh, it might be a good um, you know conversation to kind of listen into and please get involved in the chat as well. So if you chat any questions for myself or Sumi or anyone, it should pop up on my screen as well. Um, so I'm just going to introduce you. So there we go. Uh, so now everyone can see you and hear you. Um, would you be happy enough to give a quick introduction, just uh, who you are, where you're from and that kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. And, and Steve, thanks so much for, for having me. It's, it's really lovely to be here and it's nice to be included. Uh, so uh, you already mentioned uh, Neil Biden, Global Teacher. So yes, I, I'm from Malaysia originally. Um, I studied at Queen's University of, of Belfast. And a little plug, if you've never been to Northern Ireland, uh, Belfast is an amazing Victorian city, great history, amazing food, uh, great art scene, so highly recommend it. Um, but, uh, you know, when I graduated with my degree in accounting, I realized very quickly, gosh, you know, I'm, I'm not really designed to be an accountant. <laughs> so left my job at PricewaterhouseCoopers, which was really tough to get into two months later, and I joined PepsiCo. And uh, this was where I got my sort of formal training with sales and, and commercial strategy and, and things like that. But it also ended up being the thing, this job at PepsiCo that opened up a huge opportunity for me later on in life. And I'll, I'm happy to talk a bit more about that later on. Uh, but when I'm not working, I love to read. I grew up uh, reading a ton of, of books and most of it's fiction for, for fun, but obviously now reading a lot more uh, business books too. Uh, but I also grew up playing the piano. So for fun, what I love to do is dissecting musical scores. And I love doing that, a favorite thing that I, I enjoy a lot. And I guess the last thing I'd say about myself is I'm, I'm really fortunate um, I, I to have met, fallen in love with and married sort of my soulmate. Um, he's Danish and he works in learning architecture and we've just kept each other sane and healthy and, and joyful, especially in the last 19 months. So uh, that's a little bit about me. No, cool. But no, fascinating. And actually on the Northern Ireland theme, I see you've got a full green. You've got the, I love your yeah. wallpaper as well. The, the wallpaper is actually a nod to my uh, tropical ancestry, my Malaysian life. So the rest of the apartment's very Danish, very Scandinavian, but this part of the apartment's uh, about the, the jungle that reminds me of home, really. Yeah, cool. Um, so you just gave a fabulous uh, introduction to you, yourself and we were talking about you went to a university in Northern Ireland and actually very brave as well just because what I love to do in the interviews is to explore people's background but I think a lot of it is the personality traits. So for instance to and I've been there to work hard through uni and get your first job especially somewhere like PwC where there's a lot of competition. Two months in to say actually look this isn't quite for me you're, I'm guessing you're not shy. You're not scared of kind of making decisions. No. Once I've made the decision, I, I I charge forward with it. But the point to making the decision, I 
can take agonize over it because I can literally sell myself the pros and then I'll sell myself the cons and I'll go around in circles. So, but that was a, an incredibly clear decision to me because the, the, the thought process I went through was, okay, I'm in this audit uh, assistant role and I was looking at the senior leaders, okay, I'm going to be that person a few years down, do I want to be that yes, person yeah, yeah. and do their job? And the answer was a, a resounding no. I'm like, okay, fine, maybe that's too short-sighted. I'm looking at the, the boss's boss and the boss's boss's boss, do I want to be in that, that job? And when the answer was no, I couldn't ignore that anymore. It was staring me in the face. And then was the difficult conversation with my parents saying, oh, you know all that money you spent on yeah. me going to university to do accounting? The job I took had the word account in it, account executive. <laughs> so that helped a little bit that the word account was in there, but I did nothing with accounting. It was a sales role. It was a key account management role, but it helped no, optics. So what I always like to do, if I can, is that when uh, we'll go into, well, basically, obviously, the global teacher, which we'll talk on, and actually the startup you're involved in. But I think for a lot of people, you're doing it now but almost we'll talk about the journey if that's cool what you were like at school yeah. when you grew up because i think it's then when you see the the personality traits and things that actually especially with lockdown and you know yeah. in the uk we have like a million available jobs at the moment but there are also a lot of people who are considering maybe a career change or doing something different or whichever that actually some people might watch that and really resonate with what you say and i think that's why you know if you're happy to kind of share your story before we get into the good stuff, I just think it helps set the scene really well. Is that cool? Yeah, absolutely. And and lots of stories around changing jobs and different things that I can share if that's something that you're particularly interested yeah, in, for sure. Well, so you said you grew up in Malaysia? Yes, yes. Whereabouts? Um, it's a really small town called the Merlo. It's on the East Coast, um, but actually not the coastal part of, of, of Malaysia, but really very central mm -hmm. uh, of West Malaysia, Peninsula Malaysia. Oh. So it was the, 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 the part of the country that got hit by monsoon storms uh, every year between November and December, which was unfortunately school holidays for <laughs> us. So I spent most of my childhood school holidays stuck at home with a tropical drum for every single day. So, yeah, it was fun. I used to live in uh, Jamaica for a while. I was working over there. And again, yeah. over the summer months, it would rain every afternoon. But I was also there for a hurricane. It was a Category 5. Yeah. And it was just, wow. in Britain, we, we don't really have bad weather, you know, by the same level. And it's just funny. But just out of interest, because I don't get to do this very often, is that with uh, most of the people I speak to are British and they're probably based in the UK, some people in America. But actually, as someone that grew up in Malaysia what what were your aspirations like is, is it a case of you always wanted to come to the us or england or was that just happened naturally i'm just i'm interested in like the, the mindset because obviously when we go into talk about global teacher it's all, all about how we help global education but also aspirations because people have to want to learn kind of thing and i just it just i, I thought I would yeah ask. oh yeah i was a, a kid that devoured books and dreamed of the world dreamed of it, dreamed of seeing the world and being in different places. And I lived through my parents' collection of National Geographic, which is why when the opportunity came to go to university, um, you know, Ireland was 
uh, at the top of my list. And I was so fortunate to be able to, to have that. So yeah, it was a small town and there wasn't a lot to do, Steve. So I discovered books very quickly. It also helped that I was stuck indoors during school holidays, you know, where it, where it rained. Um, and there were a lot of classics in my family home, right? The Dickens, the Mark Twain's, and I, I kind of munched through all of that. When that was done, went through the Children's Britannica, munched through that, and went, went through the Adult Encyclopedia, munched through that, and then kind of read out of books. And, and the books in my town, uh, the bookstore in my town was really the kind of store that sold stationery and sold, mm -hmm. sold textbooks. So the turning point, uh, and, and it's such a small thing, but it was a big thing for me. My dad was in the Rotary Club. And one day, uh, this giant shipment of 12 tea chests full of library books arrived. You know, in Global Teacher, we talk about how books get sent manually to, well, we were the recipient of one of those. And, and those boxes were meant to go to the local library. But the local library said to my dad, hey, sorry, you know, we don't have space right now. Can you hang on to the boxes for us? And my dad said, well, if you're going to hang on to it, we might as well crack it open. And Steve, I'll never forget my dad with the hammer and the chisel cracking open that tea chest and the smell of tea that wafted out of that box. I'll forever associate books with, with tea. And inside that box were books by Asimov, Arthur C. Clarke, you know, Stephen Donaldson, Julian May, Nigel Trenter, who wrote a lot of books about Scot Scotland and Scottish clients. Maybe I would have discovered that in later years, mm -hmm. but I was nine or 10 at the time. And these were books that, uh, and, and, and worlds that I was now privileged to explore. And so when I talked about, um, uh, you know, I was dreaming about, about the world, what sort of happened was three things. Number one, I had a time limit. In my mind, the library was gonna ask for those books back. So I had to read really quickly, right? So there was this huge determination that I was gonna learn how to read and I was gonna learn how to read fast. So somehow I taught myself to speed read. I don't know how, but I was powering through those books really, really quickly. And I wasn't daunted by the size of the books or the, mm -hmm. how tiny the text was. So that was one thing. The second thing was that I was ingesting vocabulary at a phenomenal rate. And I hadn't realized that my vocabulary, my little nine, 10 year old brain was just absorbing all of this language. It didn't come out when I spoke, mm -hmm. but it came out when I wrote. Wow. And you could see that the, my level of written English was really very high. And I kind of downplayed that when I was growing up because you know you kind of don't want to stand out, but I realized that much later. But, but also what was happening was that I had a theoretical view of the world. I was a, you know, interplanetary pilot for a space pod. I was a military commander who was horribly, you know, uh, sort of under outnumbered, right, by the enemy. I was a botanist in a mining community. So I had all these jobs that people were doing and solving for in these books. And later on, I realized this is all like locked up in my head. But when the time came to strategize, to mm -hmm. solve problems, to think of a plan A and a plan B and a plan C, it just came really naturally. And I think back, I kind of think it's because I had all that, all that stories and problems and things that I was solving in my head. So yeah, that's cool. Because one of the things that just listening to what you're talking about, how enthusiastically you're talking about stuff, 
is that I think culturally, and I'll generalize, but I think a lot of children, me included, in the UK and the US and maybe a lot of places in Europe, take it for granted. So for instance, you know, we, we, I didn't, I wasn't a reader, but I also know a lot of kids aren't, you know, they play on the phone, they're on social media, they're doing whatever. And it's almost where, you know, there's a guy that's on the roadmap course that I do, but almost he, he grew up in Singapore. But actually, I do think in different parts of the world that the culture and the approach to learning is different. Don't get me wrong, I think yours is so much better than here, but it's almost where I think people that grow up in the UK or somewhere else almost take it for granted what we have. You know, they don't know that kind of thing. Or like, you know, likewise, a lot of people don't read. And I only really kind of discovered reading probably after university, so in my 20s or so. But for mm. me, it was always about personal development stuff. I'm a... I'm an engineer, but it's almost fact-based stuff is what kind of gets me going. Right. But right. it's just fascinating to hear you talk because I don't think a lot of people are like that. But what it also does, it kind of shows the character traits that you're obviously very keen to to learn and get involved. But you also fundamentally appreciate the benefit that knowledge can bring to people if they have access to it. Have you ever thought about how different your life could have been if your parents didn't have National Geographic or those uh, tea crates didn't turn up? Oh, all the time. Actually, I thank my parents all the time as well, because it was so interesting when the time came to move to Belfast. I was so confident. You know, I felt so prepared, but no one had set me aside and said, OK, here's how to speak English or here's the, how the accent's going to be or here's what's going to be different. And, and you know, instead, I arrived and yes, the Northern Irish accent was very different. But I had enough of a comfort with English that I could quickly hear the different things and not be confused and completely adapt. And, you know, so for 100%, I would credit that to uh, the, the theoretical knowledge that I had gained from books. And then the missing piece was then completing that theory mm -hmm. with real life. And that was also a great opportunity. Because I think that's one of the wonderful things that, I was going to say good universities, but it's probably true of every university. But it's when you get to meet people from different cultures and backgrounds, because I, like, so my mum was a single parent. She raised me and my brother, and I was the first person to properly go to university and do stuff to, the, you know, this level. Um, but it was actually, I now, when I look back, I was very, I say naive, but in a, in a nice way. It was almost where, I was obviously quite smart, but I wasn't worldly in the way that you or other people are. And what I always find quite funny is it's how different people, I think, develop different parts of their personality at different times in their lives, if that makes sense. And that's one of the reasons just, you know, so we could have in theory met at university, etc. But I think that's one of the brilliant things is that, you know, especially if you make friends, you can learn about their cultures and their backgrounds and stuff. That That confidence that you kind of spoke about I probably didn't have until I was about 23, 24. And it was only after I'd been and worked overseas for a little bit and come back to really kind of know who I was. That it's yeah. really inspiring when you see people that kind of knew that at 18 kind of thing. You know, I, I would take a step back and say, I, uh, I, I wouldn't say I was fully confident that I knew who I was. It was almost the opposite in a way because I was interested in so many things. Right. So I didn't I didn't know what it was that my calling was. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you talk to Chris Nutman, it's so clear what his calling was. He knew he wanted to do you know, design and it was very clear in his mind. 
in, in, in my mind, there were so many things that I was excited about, I was interested about, that in the end, I, I chose accounting because I knew it would serve me well. Mm -hmm. But somewhere deep in my heart, I also knew that it would be the stepping stone yeah. because no matter what I did, having a knowledge of finances and numbers and, and the rigor that goes behind a degree like that would serve me well. But um, so there, there was that uncertainty, but the openness also that when you're 18 years old, you know, you go like, ah, I'm going to figure it out as I go along and hopefully not fall too many times. No, cool. yeah. So what did you study at uni? I'm sorry? What did you actually study at university? Uh, I studied accounting, yeah. Oh, cool. Accounting, yeah. So almost in some ways that you were almost groomed to go into a PwC. And That's just, right. So with a lot of people who are maybe looking at career options or a career change, you mentioned it before, but almost was it just the feeling that it wasn't right for you and you didn't see the path that you'd almost been groomed or always thought to, you know, to go along? But it was on my point is that almost the, the process for you to kind of, you know, there'll be a lot of people now who are in that position where they might be in a job. It could even be a PwC where yeah. they're just they're not sure if it's for them and they've got an itch and they want to explore their passions and stuff. How did you find that process? Was there anything in particular that you was it the fact that you just didn't see yourself doing your boss's 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 job and you wanted a, a completely different life change or was the one particular thing that kind of pulled you away? Um, I think there were a couple of things. So the, the boss's 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 thing was one thing. The other thing was the, the job itself. Um, it was, it, 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 I think it, it suits a certain personality type. I had the skills, but I didn't have the deep desire to, you know, like, and I had great attention to detail, mm -hmm. but not to the level where I could do that day in and day out. And your, uh, your caliber is marked by it. You know, mm -hmm. the really good auditors are the ones that have incredible staying power and the ability to do that day in, day out and over and over again. So I could see that I, I would enjoy learning about it and doing it for about six months, but then I want to be seconded to another department and no one was going to put up with that, right? I'm just an audit assistant. So I knew that, uh, that this journey wasn't mine. And then my mindset was, I've just graduated and the, the time to explore the world out there is now. At this point, I can go and learn. And so, completely by chance ended up in Pepsi and the, and the role was a sales role and there were tons of training. So it was okay that I didn't have the skills, but it turned out I had the personality for sales and the, 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 the ethic for it, I suppose. But I think you, I think it's quite clear to anyone that watches this. You, you've obviously got the, the entrepreneurial spark, but you have ideas. I think you get a, a huge proportion of the population almost, they're quite happy to do the same thing day in, day out, almost keep their head down, get paid, and almost they live their life outside of work, that work is just something to pay the, the bills. But you do get people that I kind of resonate with that almost, they've got that itch, they want to keep learning more. It's like when I was, was when I graduated, I went to work to, as a project engineer in Jamaica, and it was on a $100 million bauxite chemical refinery. So it was a big, massive construction project. And wow. in theory the my job 
I could do in two days a week. So what I was meant to do in five, I did in two. And then in the rest of the week, I was saying, look, can I learn your job? How can I do this? And I was constantly trying to, I was probably a pain in the ass, but the point is <laughs> I get it and I resonate because I always wanted to do more because yeah. that's kind of the person I am. And even before we, we started the, the broadcast, I said to you off air that one of the challenges I still struggle with is people pleasing in a way that obviously I get paid as a consultant to do stuff for clients. And I just never stop. It's never enough to just say I've, and it's yeah. just, I think some people just have that, but that often aligns with people that are entrepreneurial because you kind of need that because you're not going to have anyone pat you on the back or, and it's just, but I think when you explore someone's journey, that comes out or for me it comes out anyway but it's just uh yeah and 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 i and i love that i think that that's really true that this uh this idea of going and learning new things and, and i can see right because steve you've you know you had to go learn how to do podcasts and learn how to you know deal with all the digital stuff and, and that's mm -hmm. amazing when i was at pepsi um the the structured key account management training that we got was really so easy it came very natural to me and i loved it and i enjoyed it but the, i was also a pest to the <laughs> to the manufacturing team because there was also a team that manufactured the pepsi mm -hmm. in cans and there was a factory manager there and i'd go and you know ask her about how things work but I worked in the part of the business that was responsible for the soda machines that were put into the KFC and the Pizza Hut stores. And mm -hmm. you go, and, it's called Fountain. And I would go and sit down with the technicians and, and watch them open up the machines. And, and I, I would want to learn how it worked because sometimes I'd go into a Pizza Hut store and they would say, oh, your machine's not working. And I'd want to be able to say, oh, let me try three, four, five troubleshooting things. And I wanted to know that. And at first the texts were like, oh my God, what, they must have thought I was so annoying. But I cannot tell you the number of times I mm -hmm. saved them a trip out to the store because I happened to fix something myself. I'm very proud of myself at that point. But yeah, that's an example. I'd say. But just, you know, now that we're both a bit more senior in organizations, if you were to look down, it's funny because at the time you never notice, but those people stand out. The people that they do their job, but they look to do more and how can they help and how can they fix it? How do the machines work? Can I fix? And it's just, you spot in almost any business, you spot the rising stars. And I think as a, as a kind of leader, as the more you go through your career, it's the way to kind of nurture them, still challenge them because they still need to learn the basics. But now I'm sure, you know, in the different jobs you've had, you're, you, those people just stand out like a, like a sore thumb. You can see them a mile away. And I remember in, even in the past when I've given talks at universities to engineering students, and there might be 80 people in the room and you can spot the five that are actually listening and they're nodding and they're engaged and that's within minutes and it but, I, I, but the point is people always worry that when they're in a job or in a career that it's not recognized what they do but my point is well actually i was gonna say it is not everyone might do that have you ever had almost a boss or a leader that you felt that wasn't kind of didn't give you any recognition or recognize how much hard work you put in or have you always kind of worked under good people Oh, I've always had the good fortune to to work with with very very good bosses. Um, there are probably a couple of bosses that maybe uh, were were probably also early in their leadership career that probably didn't know enough to go like actually recognition is more important than making me look good. I'm sure they learned that along the way, but but very small instances, but. What, what what were you going to say about those bosses? Well, no, but it's true that you have so 
the way I always view it in, in the companies that I work with, yeah. I treat people as I wished I was treated. Like I've had jobs in the past where one of them, when I worked public sector, the lady who's my boss was lovely, but yeah. she kind of admitted that there was no career progression for me there because she was right. there and she planned to stay there a long time. But as someone that's young and uh, enthusiastic, I just knew it wasn't the right thing for me. And again, you see a lot of the companies where people bring someone in, they put them, get them to do a task and all they want them to do is stay in that task. They never once think about what might that person want to do with their own career? What do they want to do next? And not thinking about other people's career plans or aspirations will mean that that good person will one day just leave because they feel that they're not valued. But I think when you've been that person, you maybe understand that is where you know not everyone is if that makes sense and it was just you know when you've had yeah. good and bad bosses sometimes you know that's where i often get i always say to people if they've got a, a crap boss and they're not enjoying work at the moment you often learn more from the bad people than you do from the good because you learn that when it is your decision what to yes. not do if that makes sense that's um, right so what did yeah. you do after pepsi almost walk us through from pepsi through to kind of today so at Pepsi, I was still in Malaysia, and when I was 25, I found out about a visa that would allow me to live and work in the UK. Wow. So remember that you know I'm Malaysian, so I can't just come and come over uh, like, like if I had a job or anything. So I found out about this visa, but the requirement was you had to be under the age of 26. It was a Commonwealth visa. Malaysia was part of the Commonwealth or is part of the Commonwealth. So I applied for it, got it, told my parents I, I had a job I didn't really. But I didn't want them to worry about me. And thank God they said yes. So off I am on a plane. Uh, and I told the folks at Pepsi, hey, thank you so much for teaching me everything. I'm going to be in, in the UK now. If you're ever in London, give me a buzz. And these are like super senior people, right? And I'm like this little tiny small fry. But I gave them my email address. So I show up in London and, and you know, was exploring and did a small few jobs here and there just to make some money. And then uh, Mintel, which is the company that I joined next, had signed a contract with Pepsi to run a global study on the quality of soft drinks at fountain machines at Pepsi and KFC, wow. KFC and Pizza stores globally. So of course, the person who had signed that contract with Mintel said, are you looking for a project manager? They said, yeah, well, call this kid. She's somewhere in London, handed them my email address. That's crazy. And if I hadn't, packed up and left, Steve. And I was literally in the right place at the right time. But also when that opportunity came along, I was broke. I couldn't find a proper job. I was ready to almost pack up and go back to Malaysia. I was six months in London. I was, I was so poor. Uh, and, and I thought, okay, I've given it my best shot. But you know, so what happened was because I was so perfect for this job and I could even open up all the equipment, right? I knew all that stuff. They, the, the Mintel team gave me a proper visa. Mm-hmm. And two weeks later, I was on a flight to Mexico uh, running uh, the Global Fountain Project. And fast forward, I was in Jordan, I was in Guam, I was in the Bahamas, and I was in the Philippines. We're talking about a global project. 26-year-old, you know, uh, dreaming of the world, and suddenly it was literally happening on a day-to-day basis so that was an incredible journey did that for a few years based out of london can i and just then... jump onto that before sure. we carry on what i remember with um i always like to use stories just because that's you know it was genuine but i remember when i was 
about 17. I was, might have been in my first year at uni. And my uncle, who was a director at a big construction company, and basically he was obviously a lot more senior. He was like my role model. And he said to me once that with almost in your career, in your life, almost even embrace jobs that you don't always love. Because actually at some point down the line, it, it'll, it'll all work out. It'll come back. Right. You know, so for, he used to give an example of once when he got into construction, he was given a really crappy job to do with uh, shipping. And basically he was asked to sit in an office and go through thousands of files trying to find information. But it was a crappy job. And then fast forward a few years, he was asked to, he was an estimator, to work on a project. And I can't remember what it was for, but it was a massive shipping project. But the point is, similar to you, yeah. it, it just came back that this perfect role appeared to land. But for you, like, and it's happened to me as well. But say for you to be doing what you were doing, but being enthusiastic enough that, I know Chris Nutman that we're going to talk about soon to do with Global Teacher, is a very keen about visualization and stuff. But yeah. I still find it too ridiculous to even think about that that happened because we're talking about a fairly niche thing. Correct. I mean, it was uh, literally a miracle. It, it was so niche and the timing of it was unbelievable. But like with, we'll go a bit off on a tangent, but it's like I'm, I'm a scientist type guy. You know, I super, I'm, I'm not religious. That's just a personal thing. Yeah. But sometimes stuff happens and you're like, that's just ridiculous. It just, it doesn't make sense that it that's would right. happen. I just know uh, what, your, what your viewpoint, like, did you just think it was luck or is there something else going? I just, I'd love to know. It's, it's a great topic. It's a, it's a great question. And I, and I love that you picked up on that and, and kind of brought the conversation there, right? Because uh, well, I didn't, I didn't dwell too much about, about the point that I was, ready to to leave and all of that you know i was interviewing with other companies but they they wouldn't they couldn't hire me because they would have to get me a visa and it was a sales job and they could always hire someone in the uk and then this job comes along where even someone in the uk wouldn't have had my perfect background right i seriously thought that there was some kind of divine intervention of of some sort um and I always think it's oh, it's my mom praying for me. It's my mom praying for my well-being. It's I always think okay, it's you know it's it's my mom, uh, but my mom didn't know that I was struggling because I didn't tell her right because I wouldn't want to worry her. I didn't tell her that you know okay everything was fine, everything was okay, and then one day I'll show up back home again. Sorry, it didn't work out, but she didn't know. But but maybe it was her prayers anyway because she would have always been praying for me being okay. I don't know, but the the timing of it the 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 synergy of the job and my skills was uh unbelievable i just yeah. but, but i because what i always try and i can like obviously i speak to people every week so but i love to pick people's brains because I, I i'm genuinely passionate about this kind of thing so that's why i love talking about it but i just i find it surreal that it's when you know things happen in your life that actually just completely change the course of what you're doing so Correct. as a mechanical engineer i was always groomed to go into construction and work on that big project in jamaica and that kind of thing well just generally but not that particular project but when i went out there like jamaica is a third world country that most people don't you know understand and once w what we had was that we used to it was at, at, the, at its peak we employed like a thousand people on this construction site but because employment unemployment is so high 
we used to rotate the um, the workforce every three months. So everyone got a job for at least part of the year. And there was a big deal because the client was a company called Alcoa, which is a big American aluminium company in America, who are the big client. And anyway, fast forward all the stuff. They, and this is terrible, but it was a major turning ten point in my life. So I was there to help build this project, 24, keen, loving it, yeah. Brit in Jamaica, whatever. And what happened was that the locals weren't happy with the jobs that they were being given. But likewise, part of the deal for the permit to build this giant mine, and we're talking giant, it was huge, was that they were going to build local schools, hospitals, that kind of thing. Because you've got very, very poor people. And the idea is, okay, we'll build this, but in return, we'll do this, this, and this. And what ended up happening was basically we, they built this massive project and then just pulled out and didn't give them anything and there was a whilst we were still finishing things off and this was pre-2008 basically i remember once the locals actually blockaded the road so we couldn't get any trucks in or out but what it did really made me question prior to that point i was just a keen enthusiastic 24 year old similar to you wanting to get a job wanting to do a good job and i realized i felt partially complicit even though i wasn't in the how the big corporate machine was hurting yeah. local vulnerable people and I, I had a real pang of conscience I you know I didn't like it so I ended up uh, applying to do a PhD back at Sheffield but because I wanted to actually help teach and educate and just take my whole life in a different path yeah. but it's just when you have life experiences it's I guess you can either take it and run with it and learn from it and use it yeah. or not and but i just what your story just blew my mind because it's just you think it can't be true but you know these yeah. things do happen which is just amazing it's funny because i tell my you know young nephews and nieces like take risks right because when i think about the journey to get here it was really one risk after another risk number one leaving my pwc job and going into pepsico you know risk number two applying for this visa and it's not the done thing, right? For mm-hmm. the youngest daughter and you know, in a in a sort of culturally conservative family to pack up and go off by herself and unmarried and all of that stuff and go off to the UK. And and the other risk was that I really didn't have a job. I had a couple of friends and I just trusted that I, I will find something. If I had to waitress, I'd waitress. I, I knew that that I would do that. Uh, you know, if I had to work in a shop, I'd work in a shop. But um uh so that was the second risk. And then the, the third risk was really just putting a lot of myself out there, mm-hmm. you know, putting my CV out there, uh, you know, applying for different things. And then all of the rejections and the worst part was I always get to the final interview and then be told that, oh, okay, yeah, we, we can't apply for a visa for you. And I'm like, okay. And then that got really hard because I had to do so much work to get to that final yeah, interview. Yeah. There's so much prep that was needed. So, um, so yes, um, and then for that to happen, it was pretty phenomenal. So, so yeah, I always say to to my nieces and nephews, take the risks, take them early, you know, fall fast, and then pick yourself up, and then off you go, right? So uh, that was my sort of wow, yeah. Uh, so many perfectly falling dominoes to lead to that moment. It's just I'm gonna segue because I think it's it's perfect. So we, um, I'm trying to think of how is the best way to almost approach it. We're going to jump onto Global Teacher, if that's cool. Yeah. Yes. And so I'm trying to, I'll, I'll tell you my story because I've been involved a little bit longer than you have. But it's just, so I um, went through my career, got a job at a PLC energy firm, floating on the stock market, really fascinating, 
but I hated it. I didn't like the person I was working for. Culturally and ethically, wasn't me, and I knew it wasn't me. And you know, I wanted to leave. Anyway, I eventually ended up leaving, setting up on my own as a consultant, doing my own thing, following my own passions, but being able to work on cool stuff. Um, there was a networking event which was just a local one called Design Network North here in the northeast of England. And I, I got a six-minute pitch. It was this Michi Picchu kind of 20-second per slide thing to talk about. And I was talking about the roadmap and stuff that I was doing. And I just went, I'd prepped, I'd gone. And then there was this get, this younger gentleman at the front. He was this, and the speaker, he was after me. And I was just sat in the audience and I just heard this guy speak. And, you know, sometimes I was just, I was hooked. I got it. I just, so I'm talking about Chris Nutman. And it was just, it was just when... He, he was talking about the, the solar power projector and what he wanted to do and his vision for what he wanted to do. But the fact that we're both like, you know, we've got a design kind of engineering background and it's just, I almost saw him as like a younger me, which sounds really bad, but I, I related to someone yeah. that had the passion and the drive, but we'd never met before, but I was sold within like seconds of what he was talking about. Yeah. And it was just later on fast forward a year he asked me if i'd be a, a trustee of the charity and we'll talk and i'll let you kind of take over but it was just how we've both since got involved with this organization but almost for both of us we've both got um energy and passion but life experience from lots of different places both metaphorically and geog you know geographically that i just i couldn't not get involved it was just one of those yes. things that was pulling and then obviously since we've met as well which is cool um, so would you like to tell people about Global Teacher? Yeah, great. We've covered the best part. So good. Um, so, so Global Teacher is really about making uh, digital education, right? Those type of resources that we take for granted all the time uh, and making them available uh, even when there's no internet or when there's no electricity. So if that's blowing your mind or anyone who's watching this right now, know that that is a significant portion of, of the world. Like we call it, that's called the global south. And this, you know, 14% of the world is illiterate, right? And you talked about this a little earlier when we talk about how we take for granted, right? Our schooling and our education and access to books. So yes, I grew up in Malaysia, but we had great schools and we had, you know, textbooks and no one shared anything. And we, you know, we, we all had our own books and there was a system in place for anyone who didn't have their own uh, textbooks to, to get them from, from school. But here we're talking about vast communities that uh, really value education. Mm -hmm. It's important to the culture. They send their children and then you have teachers who are very passionate and want to teach the problem here is resource mm -hmm. so whether it is uh, uh electricity whether it is uh, a school a structure mm -hmm. uh, you know whether it is a bus that can bring the children to school or whether they're walking or even materials so in the case of global teacher the focus is on digital content there's so much of this available and the current way of sharing information is through, you know, sending books or textbooks and think of my tea chest and I'm forever grateful, right? This is important and it works, but it's short term because these books fall apart. They, they you know, you, you have to share them. They, they don't last for very long. Digital content, however, is a lot more staying power. Problem is how do you disseminate it? And the way we teach in school is you have a group of people. So it needs to be something that can be shared, projected to the group. 
So the, the beauty of Global Teacher is in its simplicity because Chris came up with the concept of POD. POD is a solar power projector with digital learning content already in it that is small, so it can be easily transported and it can be projected to the class. So I'll, I'll stop there for any other questions you may want to ask. No, but it, I think it's just, it's funny that like we've, we've been on board meeting calls and stuff before, but I've never really explored your journey before. But just there's so many stories that links with you. I'm glad I actually asked about the childhood stuff because I didn't know the THS thing. We haven't done that much prep. But, but but what we're talking about is is for me it's there's people around the world that want to learn and develop and it's about getting those people and those communities access to the stuff that they need and they'll benefit from and then just from from your point of view because you have a much more worldly view than than I do what impact do you think that what impact do you think we could have with global teacher oh uh, phenomenal right because when you think about global teacher, there's, 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 there's so many groups that you impact. There's the teacher, when you are someone with so much desire to teach, but you don't have the materials, mm -hmm. it, that will wear you down, right? It, it, there's only so much that your, your passion and excitement can take you if you cannot get your message across. So first of all, we're empowering the teacher. Secondly, we're empowering the students themselves, you know, that hunger to learn, the ability to get the information they want but also knowing that the content that they're getting is the content that is, the it's same. not a castaway yes, product. Yes. You know, it's not an old book that's no longer in print that's now being given. It is what is also being taught in this other part of the world. You're, you're not a forgotten, mm. uh, you know, sort of uh, secondhand sort of second, uh, you know, cast off sort of type of education. This is stuff that's being taught today in the rest of the world. So you're already at par with some of the other parts of the world. That's the second part. The third part is the community, right? When a parent uh, sends their child to school, they are um, hoping that there will be that outcome that comes out of it. So the children then learn things that they can bring back home. Right. And 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 that journey continues because you will see that that desire to learn also is in the adults. They just didn't have that opportunity. So you, each one teaches one, and that journey continues. So the impact is phenomenal, and the simplicity of pod is is fantastic because there's also another aspect to this, right? It can also be used for the educators themselves. Mm -hmm to be educated because they too need learning and, and, and opportunity for growth. So I think there's seismic uh, opportunities of, of impact there. I, I think hopefully people that know me, because obviously people that watch this every, I talk to people every week, but it's almost where this ticks all of my boxes. Because even with the roadmap stuff that I'm doing, which is all about business yeah. education, yeah, the whole mission is making business education accessible because the big thing is me growing up, but billions of people around the world have an ambition to start their own business and it could be a micro business right. in uganda right. to sell crops it could be a yeah. single parent in newcastle who currently works minimum wage but she's got passion to bake and but the point is right. for me for business stuff there's a massive paywall or accessible barrier to do with time you know so you can right. go to the library but it would take hundreds of hours and i yeah. you know 
I've that is my mission. That's basically where I'm gonna take my life for the next thirty years is to do that. And global teacher just ticks it's just it's it's part of the same thing that we're trying to tackle. And it was just when I, I got involved with Chris and you know what we're trying to do. I just it for me it just is everything that actually now for my career it's, it's the the idea that the ability to almost give back and be involved in genuine yeah. community projects but almost where it's it's the equality angle for it so it's the fact that yeah. children in uganda get, could in theory get access to the same stuff as people in the uk yeah and we've never had that before that's right that's right and and i think that is you know uh a, a key part of it right so I know I came on board because like yourself, you know, I met the incredibly passionate, charismatic, humble, and really inspiring Chris Nutman, right? He was, he was looking for support. I was looking to see how I could give back, mm -hmm. you know, give back to the community in, in, in some shape or form. And uh, so we connected on a Zoom call. And when I say connected, I mean, we connected very, very quickly within minutes of our conversation. Uh, and Steve, there was no question in my mind that I could really get, you know, behind this effort. And of course, it doesn't escape me that all of the opportunities that I have had have been a result of getting access to Education. information and resource and um, and yes, maybe I didn't grow up in a digital world where you can quickly search for something and get that information, but there was desire to go and hunt that information down the old fashioned way in an encyclopedia. And I know these kids would, would be in the, in the same boat. So, yeah. Um, so we have, well, the date just changed, but we've got a launch event coming up. Yes. Do, do we know when it is yet? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's on the second. It just needs to be. Would you um, like to tell people about it? Just kind of what confirmed, we're looking to yes. do. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, and thanks for the platform, Steve. So I'm going to totally plug this. <laughs> There's a launch event uh, with Herman Miller. Uh, the team is planning a trip to Kenya. Uh, and, and, you know, we're going to be going there. The team's going to be going there with, uh, with Coco. So it's a Newcastle based charity. Um, and the idea here is that uh, for about 10 days, the, the Chris and the team is going to be traveling over there for, uh, for, for, for a little more than a week and take over about 10 projectors. Mm -hmm. So the prototype has already been built. It's ready to go. We just need to make more of them. And that's where, you know, there's, there's a need for funds. So there's about 10 projectors and we're going to introduce them to actual classrooms and see what we learn from the interaction mm -hmm. with the actual schools. And there'll be about five or 10 schools that we get into and, and where there's no internet, there's no means. So we'll be right in the thick of things and see where things don't work, where they do work, what we then need to come back and you know, version 2.0, what we need to fix. So really exciting. So that kickoff event is happening um, in early December. So I'll have more information for you the next time we speak. My last question is always there anything you want to plug, but we'll just do it now. You, how can people get involved? Obviously, there's social media, there's the website and stuff. I don't know if you've memorized the web address by heart or not yet. Yes, it's globalteacher.co. And then uh, 
there's there are many ways to get uh, to support the organization, right? So I'm going to give you a few. And if you're interested in this, please do reach out to me or, or, or to Steve. But but first of all, we need monetary donations, right? We need to build these projectors, and we're going to then test it out very soon next year in directly in schools. So um, anyone wanting to donate, please please get in touch. And I think uh, Steve, if we can afterwards, maybe share a link or something yeah, course, that would yeah. be really useful. The other thing is, uh, you know, we're we're looking to partner with education content pro producers. So, big shout out to to Hotter and and EdPlace who've already partnered with us. So, if you're an education provider, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, but in terms of operationally, we're also always looking for people to to help us uh, with content creation. Uh, we need an electrical uh, engineer, you know, help with the, the actual part building itself. From a board perspective, oh, we're looking for treasurers. So if that's something that you've experienced, and please do also reach out to myself and Steve. But but those are a couple of ways to support the organization. See, I had all these questions about why is this important to you? Why do you want to get involved? But I'll be honest, I think we've kind of covered it. We've answered it, yeah. Um, just because this is a business-related uh, kind of podcast, can we ask about your day job? Is that cool? Yeah. So yeah, as Senior Vice President Europe, would you like to tell us about Nailbiter? Yeah, absolutely. So I have to talk a little bit about the industry that Nailbiter is involved in. So Nailbiter is involved in the fast-moving consumer goods industry. Mm -hmm. So think about your, you know, your your Kraft Heinz ketchup or Pepsi. your Lynx uh, deodorant or your Pepsi's, right? Uh, and so what these brands always are trying to understand is how do shoppers navigate the aisle when they are buying that category or if they're shopping online how do they navigate the search results so the way the industry has solved for this in the past is people fill up surveys and complete a survey and it's a very long survey that asks you what did you buy and give along this except that what people say they do and what they actually do big gap right so what nailbiter did was we thought okay if we're going to solve for this perennial problem in the industry what if we could simply watch shoppers shop and well and while they're shopping they, and they tell us about it and we take all that information and convert it into data so basically what we are so we're a video metrics platform we let you see and hear your shoppers shopping uh, at that point when they're about to make a purchase we capture hundreds of videos mm -hmm. and then instead of a, a survey which puts everything in nice boxes we look through the chaos of each video and pull data out and give it to you in clean metrics that you can then use. So metrics would be things like, what did people notice when they were shopping? Right, Very precious piece of information that's very, very hard to get. What did people pick up and put in their basket? What did they pick up and put back on the shelf, considered it, but didn't make the cut? And then from there, we can see what the conversion rate was. How easy was it to shop that aisle? Was it messy? Did they find what were they looking for? Was it organized? So all of these things get turned into metrics that we deliver. So that's nail biter in a nutshell. No, it's good. I just I wanted to ask you about it because it's you know, it's always funny that we can always talk about the the charities and the nice stuff, which is cool. But then likewise it's it's getting to know the person behind it and people are really interested in tech and obviously you're a very good speaker so it was just i wanted to kind of pick your brains and stuff um i fear you might have already answered this one too i have a standard question which i ask every week um yeah. what's the best advice you've ever had oh okay so um the best advice that that i get is very pertinent to me <clears throat> 
don't question past decisions that you've made. Because when you made it, you made it with the best mm -hmm. information that you had at that time. It's very easy to go afterwards and go, oh, I should have, should have, would have, could have, because now hindsight's 2020. And I constantly beat myself up about stuff. So it was a really excellent uh, piece of advice. Um, another one that I that I love that I'm still working on, but um, and we talked about bosses earlier, but people forget what you say. People never forget how you made them feel. And I think this is a really powerful one in terms of leadership. And I thought that was a good one that I've received in the past. Yeah, that's cool. I, I agree with both. I have nothing more to give. It was when you were saying before about how to your younger self or to your nephews or nieces or whatever, just take risks. Don't be afraid to do stuff. And I think the big yeah. thing for me is that with, like I've taken some ballsy moves in the past. So for instance, I was working overseas in the big project, you know, to everyone else, it looked like a dream job. 24, living in Kingston, Jamaica, doing all this stuff yeah. in the Caribbean. Yeah. And I was miserable. I absolutely hated it. And then to to literally quit, go back to be a student again back at Sheffield. There is another story because there was a girl I was trying to win back who's now my wife. But anyway, but that was the other reason. But the point is, a lot of people were like, what the hell are you doing? And what was also yeah. interesting is that I'm a basketball player. One of the guys that was in the year below me at university who went to Bank of America, so again, very talented kind of guy. We knew each other from playing sports together, but we didn't know each other like super, super well. Whilst I told people that I was going to leave Jamaica, he actually sent me an email. And this was when Facebook was new. This is like, you know, 2007, right. eight. I said, look, Steve, I think you're making a big mistake. I think, you know, you should stick it out and really kind of go for it. And I, I was honest with him. I said, look, obviously, you know, you don't know what it's like here, but fair enough. Fast forward a year, and he had since started at Bank of America, and he had this idea in, in investment banking about what he was going to do, how it was going to work, what the lifestyle was going to be like. And it turns out that within six months, it wasn't what he thought it was going to be. The hours were just like ridiculous. Right. His now wife, obviously he wasn't really getting to see her. And what was really nice, because he didn't have to, he actually sent me an email and apologized because you never know what someone else is going through. Right even if to the outside it looks brilliant it can yes. be a challenge but the point is it, he is now a really successful energy broker in uh, norway but the point is only you know if it's not right and then it's you that makes the call to say look i'm going to change yeah. but to everyone else the parents the whoever they might say what are you doing you're crazy but yeah. you need that conviction to follow your heart. But for me, if you kind of do things with the right intention, so you do it for the right reasons and you you, know, you just do your best. Touch some words for both of us, for everyone. The hope yeah. is it turns out for the best. That, you know, some of the kind of career pivots and stuff that I've done, I yeah. wouldn't be doing now with you talking about this if those hadn't have happened. Does that make sense? And it's almost where I 100% agree with what you're saying. It's just you know, take risks, do just follow your heart, you know, even if it yeah. doesn't work out, see what happens. Correct. And it gets more difficult when you get older. The, the appetite for risk taking is much higher when you're younger, right? So, so, so do that early. And then when you find you've done it, it's not so hard to pick yourself up. What gets really difficult is when you've, uh, so for example, I was at Mintel for 10 years and I did lots of different things at Mintel. I loved it. I, I still love the company. Met someone there uh, a few weeks ago for lunch, actually. So we're still, you know, very much in contact with the team there. 
But when I realized, gosh, I've been here for 10 months and I realized for 10 years, I was scared to leave. Mm -hmm. That was when I knew, okay, oh gosh, I've, I've actually got to leave now because I'm, I'm terrified of leaving. And that was an impetus for me to, to move on to my next journey. But yeah, I, I would say taking risks would be um, an advice, advice I'd give 100% to others. I've got to ask you, what's the dream? Just, you know, fast forward pick a year 20 years from yeah. what where do you hope to be like we're talking about visualization before those positive vibes putting it out there what you know because again the beauty of this when it all goes onto youtube touch unless youtube fails it's going to be there and it's the ability to look back in 10 years time i go oh, i remember we hadn't even properly launched pod yet and now it's done this what's the dream for you Oh, yes. So the dream would be I'd be back in Malaysia. My brother and I are working on a project to tackle recycling. Recycling is a topic very close to my heart. Um, and I'd love for us to be in a place where we are making headway with, with that. I'd love for Global Teacher to be uh a phenomenon across the world um i'd love for you know tremendous impact to have been made uh and strides made with digital education across the world so um but but i would like to see myself back home in malaysia and you know reunited with my family been away from home from home for a long time and and the dane is very happy at the prospect of uh living in a tropical uh sunshiny place so <laughs> No, I, I do love Malaysia and it's just um I just I love to ask because you know likewise touch some wood if we stay in touch you often don't realize that the progress you've made yourself because you were in it all day every day it's yes. part of the reason this is just I, I don't write a written journal but I, I do videos but it's almost yeah. I, I just love the ability to look back and then celebrate other people when they've done stuff that they and yeah. you know in a few years time when you've nailed recycling and everything else I'll get you back on a more We'll talk about absolutely now if you had asked me what advice i'd give my younger self because you know you asked this to some yeah, of yeah. your your guests uh what i would have said was i wish i had kept a diary i wish i had kept uh, a diary of all of those trips and adventures and even what seemed really boring everyday things um so i guess it's a note to myself that it's never too late i need to start keeping a diary now you know do like, you take photos I, I do, uh, I, I take photos, quite a lot of photos, but I'm thinking about those days when, you know, when I was 25, 26 with my, my uh, Nokia phone, <laughs> this was in 2002 and a Nokia phone that worked everywhere in the world, but there was no photo taking with that Nokia phone, sadly. So why the, do you ask about photos? Well, so I'm one of these people that I've, I've always been into my cameras, hence why I learned how to do this yeah. because I've always been into yeah. it, but actually, rightly or wrongly on my multiple backup hard drives i've probably got two hundred thousand photos wow from everything but even for instance on the businessy type stuff i take photos of the little milestones so the first time i sent a pack to anywhere overseas and i use it and i, I have them all journaled so that yeah, i'm sure you've seen the um the photo of jeff bezos with his door desk and it's amazon was a straight painted sign and stuff I try yeah. and do that, that you can't it. see it, but I've got, a, I ordered a big neon sign for, I've got a rebrand coming and it's going to go on that wall behind me. But just, I was unpacking it before and I just, I journal everything because I love to look back and I've got photos from, I'm not going to say my whole life, but 
kind of and it's just because wow, i have I a very it. visual memory but i love it so for instance i just i take snapshots of like stuff that to anyone else would say what the hell is that but to me it's i love it <laughs> but you know what it is yeah but no, i, I love it yeah i think taking photos are a great way to to keep track and i think ever <clears> since i've had a a, um, a smartphone i've taken lots of photos to commemorate uh, I think it's the earlier years. I used to take a, a giant digital SLR with me because I love taking photos, mm. but then I realized it, it did make me look like a tourist in many of these places and I wanted to be more discreet. So I swapped that with a small digital camera. Can I let you into a little secret? And this is as someone that has spent a fortune on digital cameras. I've got two in front of me that are very expensive. Yeah. Nowadays, modern iPhones, the cameras are so good. Good. Just take your phone, honestly. No, no yeah. embarrassment, whatever. That. Yes, there's a fun in doing it in full manual and whatever. But the truth is, for most daylight applications, or even now with the new ones, your phone is better than you spend five grand on a camera. So it's guilt-free. You're yeah. good to go. But no, genuinely, I, I appreciate your your time and everything. Is there anything else you would like to plug before we go? Um, I think uh, just, you know, um, uh, please do have a look at uh, nailbiter.co. Um, and if there's interest in contributing to the mission, please do reach out. Uh, happy to answer any questions. Cool. Well, I appreciate your time. Did I, I say Neil Biter? You did. I meant to say globalteacher.com. <laughs> I, I apologize. I was going to just smooth over. But, but the thing is, like, realistically, we're both human. Okay, you're at home. I've got an office. But the point is, like, when we talk about it's a Brene Brown thing, but almost a vulnerability. But it's the fact that we're real people, that when things go wrong, when my Wi-Fi cuts out four minutes into an interview, yeah. when it doesn't matter. It's it's a first world problem that I used to worry, oh, the yeah. sound wasn't quite as good on this week's podcast. Nobody cares. It's about the, for me, someone, even just two people discovering you, maybe a little bit about a global teacher that just yeah. raises awareness to go, oh, that's quite cool. I'll check that out. And for me, that is the win that I also completely selfishly love to build relationships with different people just to get a feel for, you know, because there's a big difference when you you interact with people, but you don't really know their story and what drives them. But when you get to discover that about people, it can just transform everything that you think about someone that I, I enjoy. You know, I'm, I'm, I love it. Hence why I've, I've kind of job crafted my own job to just do the stuff that I enjoy. And talk I to love people. it. So it's cool. And I've loved getting to know you too, Steve. This was really lovely. And I love that you shared a little bit of your journey too, because it was really nice to hear how, you know, how you've come along this path as well. It was yeah. really lovely. But I, on that point, I, I say this every week, but one of my big pet peeves is that, especially on social media, too many people try and be perfect and they want it to be this perfectly polished version of themselves. Or when things go wrong, they ignore it or they sugarcoat it. And one of the big things that I'm, I'm passionate about is that you have a lot of people out there on their own journey, career-wise or business-wise, and it's not going as well as they hoped. But all they ever see is other people pretending yeah. everything's perfect. And it's heartbreaking. A lot of people struggle with mental health. And it's just if they know that other people struggle as well and what they're trying to do and they're, you know, like for when we were talking about before when, oh, it's happened so many times, but when I left Jamaica to go back and do a PhD, and then later on when I, you know, left that to move to the northeast of England, there's been loads of times through my life where you've kind of, you've had to make a gut decision, which was horrible, but I wouldn't change it now. That's but right. You, but you never know that. It's almost, you know, if anyone is watching this who's going through a really shitty time, it could be through COVID, it could be through anything. 
yeah. it's having faith that as long as you try your best you just reach out talk to people network touch some words yeah. it'll work out which is cool and that's why I, I i like to talk for one just you know but i just i always try and be honest as well just about stuff as well um i, I know how busy you are so i won't keep you but thank you for your time uh, it's been a pleasure to catch up so 2nd of December is the Herman Miller launch event, hopefully. And they might also sell a chair out of it as well. Because I've been looking for one for a while. So whilst we go and do the launch event at their studio, I am also shopping for some new office furniture as well. So um, <laughs> Fantastic. So cool. Well, thank you for your time. And um, yeah, get in touch. Cool. Have Thanks a nice so day. Thanks so much, Steve. No worries. Take thank care. you. Bye-bye.